As 2022 winds to a close here at Susan Search, we're switching up our usual one-on-one -on -one interview format. For the next two weeks, we'll be airing best of episodes featuring the best moments from the conversations I've had in the past year. It's hard to believe, but we've now launched over 100 episodes of Suds and Search. What started out as a passion project in the breweries of one Chicago neighborhood has gone out to every corner of the United States, Europe, Israel, Australia, and beyond. 2022 marks the third year we've posted a video every Thursday, and I think we've had the best conversations yet, with big name speakers, up and comers, and everything in between. The highlights you are about to watch were carefully selected by our excellent team at Search Lab, who do an enormous amount of work behind the scenes. For the last time this year, grab something cold to drink and join me for the best of Suds at Search 2022. When you get buy-in uh, at the product level, it's not about uh, necessarily making uh, estimations of you know traffic to specific keywords like you would with content, for example. Right. We're going to drive X amount of traffic to this page. It's more about what is you know answering the question, uh, what additional funds will this make for us? In other words, can this make us more money? What amount of money is this going to save us that we're having to spend now? What future costs will this prevent? Um, so it, it does sort of roll up to, to costs, but it's also um, really important to understand how to set up what I like to term the LOE, LOI matrix, which is the level of effort versus the level of impact matrix. And the idea behind this is, is that if you have a change that is very low in effort, but is very high in impact, that's how you, that's where you, that's going to be your number one priority. Uh, if it's, if it's a high this. impact, uh, high effort item, that may be something you want to add to your roadmap. If it is a low effort, uh, low impact type of change, that's probably busy work for you. But if it's a high effort and low impact change, uh, that's probably one you just want to never do. <laughs> so setting up uh, your individual problems and tasks into that matrix is a really good way of winning with executives because they can look at that matrix and understand, okay, this is this is going to give me the biggest bang for the buck. This one's going to cost a lot of money to, uh, to implement, but it's going to have a really big change. So let's make sure that that's on the roadmap. Um, so yeah, LOE, LOI, I, I, I push this out as much as I can because I think it's really important to understand, uh, for SEOs to understand how they need to speak to executives in the language that really appeals to them. So um, I was in David Bain's SEO for 2022 uh, book and uh, the uh, sort of accompanying webinars. And this was sort of the gist of, of what I added to that book. Quite frankly, sometimes it comes down to the sort of the, the trend du jour that the marketing director yes. is interested in following. And so he may be seeing TikTok being a big issue or a big thing that we need to, to pursue. And he's going to put SEO on the back burner while they go and they hire a social media company to handle all of their TikToks and Instagram uh, moments and everything. So it's, it's, that has been very frustrating in the past, to, to be frank, uh, especially working for some executives, and I won't name names, though I'm really tempted to. Um, who know absolutely nothing about um, the online marketing sphere. Uh, and they don't really realize that SEO is kind of one of the fundamental building blocks to an online presence. You know, the, the foundational SEO stuff where right. make sure the house is good and then build up from there, right? So you're making sure that the, the technical aspect is good, then you got the content and links and you know, just kind of building out from there. So I think that, uh, local SEOs are, are, you know, broadening their horizon more a little bit uh, with 
you know, the, the things that they are, are trying to learn uh, and kind of expected to learn now with technical and schema and, and just kind of all that stuff. Um, whereas I think probably in the past you had kind of local was, you know, kind of the, the side project of the regular SEO program. And now you have kind of all that blend together. So if you have, you know, like, like we do or like you do working on uh, local clients, particularly rather than enterprise or something like that, and you have, you know, your local SEOs working on that, they kind of need to have a wider range of, of skills rather than we can just outsource that to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Link building is a hot topic of discussion anytime it ever comes up, right? Um, you know, we still focus on the citations and directories, but, but the bigger ones, right? We're not yes. going off and like hitting the ones that are 100, 200 deep, but make sure you got Yelp, Facebook, Better Business Bureau, Angie's List, that kind of stuff, Home Smart. Advisor, right? For whatever, whatever industry you're in, lawyers need Justia and Navo and Fine Law, things like that. Uh, make sure you're hitting the big ones. And then, you know, there's obviously some outreach that goes on with, with content production and things like that. So if you have a, you know, for lawyers, again, if you have a cool, uh, you know, injury map or something like that, or uh, that still works. A uh, little bit harder to do that because now everybody's kind of doing that as well. But, yeah. uh, and then, you know, we, we still do a lot of, uh, local link building as well, right? So like uh, finding businesses around your client's business that you know maybe they they go to often or they they deal with a, on a daily basis, trying to get some either content rolling like that or uh, maybe even some reciprocal links and things like that. Uh, stuff that you you know, especially for local, you can get those little mom and pop shops to link to your site. And Google's going to reward that because you know you're, it's relevant. You're in the area, uh, you're doing business with these people. So, uh, you know, especially link building again in general, just uh, kind of a hot topic. But we definitely, uh, we definitely still do a lot of manual. Sales should be something that you truly do enjoy, not just an easy entry point into something to do with a career. Uh, I I truly enjoy selling, um, and for that reason, I like to put a bit more time and effort into an individual conversation that may not turn actual fruit in terms of revenue, but the approach doesn't feel like it sucks the life out of me. And I think that's the difference, right? And so if you're someone who is okay with hitting the send button a hundred times on the exact same message to see if two will respond, I would just venture a guess to say that sales isn't actually what's going to be for you. Um, maybe in another industry, but for where I live, right, in digital, um, it's just not It's just not what really keeps you going through those motions every day. It's got to actually have some some weight behind it. So I think that's I think that's a little bit the difference. And that's where I say, you know, if if that's the kind of selling you want to do, you're not actually doing selling. Um, maybe you want to telemarket. That's not real selling to me. Um, we have four or five solid reasons to be reaching out. If so, they go in our squeeze. If not, we kind of wait or we do the research to find them um, and to maybe move them into that squeeze list. But that's how you, I think you can stay focused. And like I said earlier, take the time to truly build and tailor messaging resources that are a fit for the problem that you see and that you're not just copy pasting from one conversation to the next. And also give folks an out. They don't have to respond with, yes, let me get into your pipeline. Um, it can just be a response. So 
I think the way you frame that messaging, um, if that intent comes out and it's truly authentic, I think the response rate is partially due to that. But you're also giving them an opportunity to say, hi, I'm getting back to you. I just this isn't in the cards for us at the moment. Um, And then secondarily, the pipeline is less ebb and flow. Um, There's more consistency in if you've got a, a nice squeeze list that's pretty responsive, you're almost always dropping a couple of new deals into the pipeline. And then on top of any inbound deals that are coming your way through website contact forms, that sort of stuff, um, you know, you've got a a nice healthy balance there that tends to keep things more consistent than if you're more reliant on one side of of the pipeline or the other. To be honest, I don't really use rankings much when it comes to measuring success for clients. Um, I'm still focused on overall impressions and clicks and then, you know, whatever the client's goals are from SEO, uh, whether it's, you know, sales or, you know, whatever their KPIs are. But rankings are more for me and my team. Um, and I, I concern, you know, so we can troubleshoot and figure out why the clicks and impressions are down or up, usually up. Um, but uh, they're, they're more for us, you know, and I don't look at them as a raw number. Like, I don't care if I'm number six, but if I see a six change to an eight, then that's that's something I need to look into. Um, and so I'm more concerned directionality of rankings and less concerned with, you know, what the actual number is, as long as I'm getting clicks and impressions and, and the numbers that, that actually matter. So we, I talked briefly about like, you know, what time's the Super Bowl or how old is Taylor Swift or, you know, quotes like that, where it's just a number. Um, and nobody can really own that. And the user's not expecting a web page. They just want an answer, you know, uh, and we see that with voice search. We see that with, um, with, you know, Google, uh, I, I'm trying not to say the words because they're both sitting on my desk, but the Amazon device and the Google device um, that, that do voice search. I don't want them to go off during this call. But, you know, we see that with there. It's, it's, that's what I call like trivial searching. Where you ask it a question, it gives you an answer. It doesn't give you a web page. It gives you an answer. Yeah. And when Bill Gates said the future searches verbs, that's what he meant. You know, people are trying to do something. They, they have a task at hand. And if you can help them do that task, then you're going to succeed. And so... Websites aren't going away, but websites that don't help people do something are going to go away. But, you know, you know, if you're searching for how old is Taylor Swift, that's a number. But if you want to book tickets to a concert, you want a website. You know, if you want to explore her, her music catalog or, or whatnot, you want a website. Um, you know, same thing with, with flights and travel or, or book, you know, let's book in this trip to Vegas. You know, if I'm trying to do something then there's going to be a website to help me do it. But if I just want to know an, a number or an answer, those websites are dying. This concept of Web3, really, it's been here the whole time, you know, mm. to, to a large degree. Um, the, the idealism that um, underwrote Web1 was about the you know, concepts of decentralization. It was about the concepts of access. It was about the concepts of ownership. It was about the concepts of you know, knowledge. Along the way, those ideas have been uh, you know, taken away by centralized entities and, and powers and structures, both you know, public as well as private, you know, corporations as well as you know, institutions. Yeah. And so one could argue, and it's important to, to, to start this way, I feel, based upon your question, that Web3 has always been here. Yeah. You know, this morning I, was, I pointed to uh, an organization called PointCast. And I don't know whether you remember that or not, but when 
those of us who saw it back in the, you know, I think it was 96 that it was launched to the public, but founded in 92, it was pushing content out yeah. to the user right from a desktop environment. Yeah. But as the story goes, the bandwidth just wasn't there, but my, it was so beautiful. It was right. so beautiful. And it, like many stories in this space, are you have a great you know, entrepreneur with incredible ideas doing the right thing, where, and their ideas somehow you know, got gobbled up along the way by big interests. The point here is that Web, you know, he was pushing unique content out. You know, Pointcast in particular was pushing unique content out to users, you know, on a personalized basis, you know, bypassing news feeds, bypassing right. Google, bypassing having to search, bypassing having to go to social to weed through what is right and just delivering through, you know, another interesting issue here is the RSS, right? We had yeah. ways by which to syndicate content real simply back in the day that afforded us this, this deep level of personalization, which kind of begets ownership. And the irony about what's happening now is that's what we're after again. Somehow along the way, it's been taken from us. So before one gets carried away that what, you know, what everyone's talking about is so new and so foreign yeah. and so difficult to understand, it, it's, it's better to realize that no, it's exactly what you think the internet should have been. It's exactly what you likely want. And it's really a matter of our getting out there and effectively, you know, reclaiming it. And, you know, I think largely we have. The question is, how do we begin to restructure it in a manner which will prevent this from occurring again in the future? The presentation was to get people thinking about uh, their data sources, the quality of their data what they're analyzing and whether or not what they're analyzing is what they think they're analyzing and the conclusions that they're making from their data. Are they working with the right data sets? Um, are the data sets themselves reflective of the audiences and the populations they're actually trying to understand and measure? So that was, uh, that was what I meant by the data is a lie. In a lot of cases, um, if you really start looking at the data sources that we use and we've come to rely on, especially as marketers, there are so many platforms and so many tools where it makes our jobs uh, a lot a lot easier, right? It can scale a lot of things that we have to do on a daily basis, but it also opens opens up uh, kind of a can of worms with respect to data quality and understanding data, even across platforms and across data sources. I would suggest in one of the most common in our day-to-day -day analysis of what we're looking at goes more towards um, not understanding the data we don't have right? And assuming that the data that we do have mm -hmm. tells the whole picture. And so it's, it's those data gaps, right? The voids in the data that we're operating with that cause, I think, the biggest problems and making assumptions, you know, generalizing, you're looking at a specific data set with, for a specific purpose and generalizing that to another purpose that is not a, is not a proper mapping of that data to that purpose, if that makes sense. And a lot of that yeah. happens with just data gaps, just not understanding where does this data actually come from? What is it? We This is a big problem when you actually look at, you know, some of the tools that folks use where we don't necessarily know where they're gathering their data from. We don't know where their audience comes from. We don't know what that audience looks like. We're assuming it maps to our audience and our needs and our understanding and our verticals, things like that. But again, we don't know what we don't know. 
Um, we don't know how often that data is scrutinized, is refreshed, um, and problems can happen when you start relying on that kind of data and those data sets change significantly. And maybe you don't know because, again, you don't know the sources of that data. So majority of the technical problems is uh, like canonicals. You know, that's number one issue. Like a lot of people set up the canonicals wrong uh, a lot of times. Uh, a lot of times, especially if they use different themes in WordPress and they make errors, what happens is the errors create like pagination on the homepage, for example. Uh -huh. And then now you have a homepage that has like, you know, 300 pages uh, with canon, you know, with you know, paginated 300 pages. So that's a big one. Uh, then uh, another semi-technical issue is like, you know, internal redirectors. So, you know, they change the websites or remove pages and then all the internal linking points to wrong URLs. The first thing that I see, okay, I mean, first of all, the passwords, like I get passwords that I'm like, that's your business name with one, two, three at the end, right? Like that's not hard to figure <laughs> out. Right. Or... Uh, like for us, when we build, we try to avoid having the admin username. Just okay. remove that once the site goes live. Remove admin. Um, a lot of times, depends where the site is hosted. We would actually put the WP admin in. A, like we we'll put the whole WordPress site in a subfolder, and then we're just gonna we redirect the uh, the index, you know, to actually point to the subfolder. So like, if we put a website up, it will be in a subfolder called like SC or whatever. Uh, and then so now to to reach the WP admin, you're going to have to actually type forward slash SC WP admin. So that avoids a lot of the automation that that the bots go because, you know, the, it's it's all hacked by bots. So they will go to WP admin, they will try admin and then start trying passwords like one, two, three or admin. Uh, uh, so that's uh, that's. In, so I think the username admin is the number one passwords, weak passwords, is number two, and then I don't know if that's a security thing, but it's something that as a business owner you should be doing is, you know, back up your sites. Like, so we offer a service where we will actually make updates to all of the, you know, the main core of WordPress, but we'll change the passwords every two, three months. Mm -hmm. And also we'll make sure that, uh, you know, we always monitor the site and back it up daily. So if something happens, mm -hmm. you know, with a click of a button, we can just push the site up live, you know, and that way it saves a lot of headaches and money, you know, if your site gets hacked and you depend on it. To me, the action is the juice. Do you remember this scene? Yeah. To me, the fun part about this is the growth. Yeah. I love making relationships. And so to have a big team was something I always wanted. You know, I, like, I want to get rich, but it's stupid. Like, really for me, it was about like getting to make an impact in as many people's lives as I could, my clients and my employees. And so the whole currency of this is if we can have a big team, if we can impact lives, give people jobs, and help them do really, really gratifying work, that's the whole name of the game for me. Everybody has different strengths and weaknesses. What I want to do is create a, a culture where people are in a seat that they're going to thrive in. And so based on their own behavioral traits, they, they can be in the right seat. And it also gives me a lot of lens into how to communicate with that person. So like, I'm going to treat everybody fairly, but I'm not going to treat anybody the same because they're going to have different culture index pattern. So if I talk to you, I'm going to talk to you different than I'm going to talk to Tim as I'm going to talk to Carol Ann and I'm going to talk to Mark, like anybody on our leadership team, I'm going to treat them differently because they have different behavioral patterns. So culture index gives you a glimpse into how that person likes to work, um, what sort of like tra behavioral traits they have. And then it allows me to kind of like use my emotional intelligence or whatever, my persuasive abilities 
to really get the most out of that employee. So it's like, it's been a game changer for me. But really those three things, EO, EOS, and Culture Index are the three systems I really lean on the most. Decision-wise, in big picture, is about cultivating a long-term mutually beneficial relationship. So if I'm gonna hire you, if you're gonna be my client, if you're gonna be a vendor, networking friends of mine, I want it to be a long-term relationship that's for both of our benefit. So um, let's that reciprocity has been a huge, huge part of the culture.